You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Righty, it is a glorious morning, and uh, it's great to be with you wherever you are watching this, all over the GTA. Uh, my name is Richard, for those who don't know who I am, and uh, it's a great joy to be able to bring the word this morning as we continue in our unstoppable series. The series will be stoppable. We will be bringing it to an end by the end of June, but... Um, we've been enjoying the book of Acts. Um, you know, this, uh, the book of Acts, if you're unfamiliar with it, is really just the continuation. It's, it's the and dramatic stories of the continuation of the mission and ministry of Jesus, but now really through his spirit and his church, his people, but like people like you and me. And so, uh, we're in season three and next year we'll end off with season four. Uh, but before we get there, some of you might not know who Hudson Taylor is. Hudson Taylor was a British, uh, missionary. To China, I think he spent something like 54 years in China and was the father and the founder of the China Inland Mission. And uh, his quote um, really sums up a little bit of, of what we're seeing and experiencing as we read the book of Acts. He says, there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it's difficult. Then it's done. And so um, I've walked with Jesus enough to kind of seen that some really impossible things. Then they were kind of difficult. And then, gosh, it was done. There was breakthrough in areas that just felt impossible. Churches were planted in just really difficult circumstances and areas. And I don't know, maybe you're in a, maybe you're in an impossible or difficult part of, of life right now. But bear those words in mind as we go through this. And obviously we're talking about pioneering, uh, the church, the early church really in, from other perspectives, just impossibility, this small band of people following this Jesus uh, Messiah. And yet we see by the third century, Christianity had taken over the Roman Empire. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 18 this morning. Now, for those of you that have been tracking with this, you'll know that last week, um, Sheila brought a great message from Acts chapter 16. Uh, uh, Paul's on his second missionary journey and he finds himself in Philippi. We looked at that. And so now in chapter 18, you say, what is chapter 17? Is it like some secret? And so chapter 17 is going to be brought to you by Lucas next week. He was supposed to preach today. He fell ill. And so you get me. And so um, we're going to leave him and his great word that he's worked on. And we wish him a speedy recovery. So come along next week to Innes to hear him preach. All right. Acts chapter 18. We're going to read the first 11 verses and then jump into it today. It says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Uh, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. 
So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And so today, I want to speak to you about staying power, getting a word and a call and a vision to stay in a difficult place or in a difficult circumstance when it would be easier to leave that place or circumstance. And so just as a reminder of where we are, um, I love maps. I love geography at school. And so here we go. Here's a map of just of what we're looking at and just the absolute mammoth task of these missionary journeys that uh, Paul went on in a time when there was no cars, no airplanes, getting around was slow and difficult. And so he's now towards the end of it. If you look all the way to the left uh, on the province called Ikea, you'll see a little city called Corinth, and that's where we are today. And it's right at the end of his second journey uh, before he starts heading back. He'll go to Ephesus and then make his way back. Uh, to Jerusalem. But you can just see this amount of ground and all those places that he stopped. He's had ministries, had churches planted, just really incredible. Um, as you look at that map, and, and in fact, Paul goes on three journeys over the period of in Acts that we look at, um, and it seems a pattern that he always goes to these prominent cities, cities like Athens. That's where he was in chapter 17, which you'll hear next week. Um, he's at Corinth, and he goes to Ephesus after Corinth. And so in choosing the big cities, intentionally in choosing the big cities and actually not going to the countryside much at all, um, he chooses to go to the biggest, the most influential cities in every location. And there's a phrase that as the city goes, so goes society. Now, the late, great Tim Keller um, talked a lot about the heart for the cities, about the strategic nature of reaching the cities, not in a way to say that it's obviously not unimportant to reach other places and suburbia and farmland, but just in terms of strategic influence, um, there's just no matching um, the city, just the intensity of people there, the culture makers that are there, the influence that cities had. He said it like this, uh, commenting on this passage. What this means is that in general, the most strategic place for Christians to live, work, and minister is large cities. Okay. And again, it's not, if you're not in a large city, it's not to say that you're not in the will of God, but it just in terms of if you want to be strategic with ministry, particularly why Paul chooses to go to these big cities is for that very reason. It's just incredibly strategic. But not only is it strategic, it's hard, right? It's hard to live in big cities. Big cities are expensive, way more expensive than other places outside of the city. You see um, both the beauty of humanity and the brokenness of humanity in a more intensified way in a city. There's just that much more people. And so Keller talks about there's more image, uh, more image of God per square foot in a city than anywhere else. And so in one sense, you see the beauty of that, but you also see the brokenness and the sinfulness of fallen human humankind. And then there tends to be an intensification of spiritual darkness and opposition in cities that are just not felt elsewhere. All that to say, it takes real staying power to live, work, and minister in big cities, kind of like cities like Toronto. Well, let's look at Corinth, because Corinth is in some ways like Toronto is today. Um, Corinth was a relatively new city at the time. It had been destroyed a couple of hundred years before this happened. In about 44 BC, a guy by the name of Julius Caesar, heard of that? Have you ever read your Asterix and Obelix comics? You'll know about Julius Caesar, like I did. And he established it as a remote Roman colony and soon became the capital of that province, Ikea. Um, not only was it a, a kind of a new city, it was incredibly progressive. It was booming, was growing. Um, anything from 200 to 500,000 people was occupants at that time, which was massive at that time. There was very few cities that had that level of population. It was a major 
purely from where it was located. It, 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 it was at the intersection of the north-south trade routes, the sea trade routes, east and west. And it was a major commercial and financial center. It was incredibly cosmopolitan. It was diverse people there, ethnicities, cultures, religions, and practices, really like a modern-day Toronto, if you will. But Corinth was also very well known in the ancient world for its incredible corruption and sexual immorality. It was even remarkable for the ancient world standards. Um, it was the center for the uh, temple of Aphrodite. It was the goddess of love and beauty and was infamous for just employing hundreds of temple prostitutes. And so Paul finds himself going into this city. Now let's talk a little bit about Paul. You know, if you're new to Christianity, new to scripture, Paul arguably be uh, second to Jesus, one of probably the most influential um, Christian leader, bar none. I mean, wrote the majority of your New Testament, uh, just was instrumental in pioneering so much of the early church's uh, ministry work. And so... Um, from his other letters and from what also what we've seen in, in the, the few chapters we've been journeying with Paul a little bit in this series, um, we know uh, that he's coming into Corinth a little bit apprehensive. In fact, in his first letter to the Corinthian church that he writes later, he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Now, I know for many of us, we think of Paul as this like fearless lion. Um, and yet here he is, I came into Corinth in weakness with great fear and trembling. And um, piecing it together um, from just what we've read, just the, the end of his nature, it's probably a, bit, a mixture of what was behind him and what was ahead of him that gave him that sense of apprehension, maybe even a little bit of depression. Uh, think about what was behind him. He's on a journey. Now, this journey, the second journey, when it comes to an end, would have covered almost 5,000 kilometers in about a three-year period. Again, think about that in terms of a time when transportation wasn't as easy as it is for you and I today. Think of the toll that's going to take on your body. We know that in every, almost every city that he goes to, he has some success, but he also has incredible pushback to the point where he's beaten. He's in prison. Sometimes he's almost beaten to he's left for dead. And so you think of the physical, emotional, and just spiritual toll on this man as he's coming into this city. Um, and in chapter 17, you'll hear about this next week, but he has a bit of a culture shock when he goes to Athens. Like he, he's looking around and it's distressing at what he sees in the city. And so some commentators have said he's probably had a bit of a culture shock. And he had a bit of an indifferent response to his message. He, he, he reasons with some of the philosophers of the day. And they're kind of tickled and interested in what he has to say. It's new and that kind of thing. But he leaves Athens, doesn't have incredible success. A couple of people respond and turn to ministry. But generally, Paul's used to like a massive turning to Jesus or a massive and violent pushback. And he gets neither. It's kind of the worst is not like anger, love, or hate. It's kind of like just indifferent. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's an interesting philosophy. We'll think about it. And so maybe he's feeling a little dejected. And he comes into Corinth. And he comes into, he knows the reputation of Corinth. He knows what he's going into in Corinth. And, and it tells us in the first few verses, ministry is slow. He's working a job. He's working a job like you and I. Another thing that you might not know about Paul, he worked a job. He's a tent maker, an artisan, working with leather. And so ministry is slow. He's, he's not able to be out and about as he normally would be. And not only is it slow, it's difficult. Um, because of the people. And so I want to read from the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of verses 5 and 6. I think it kind of brings it a little bit more to life, gets us into the feel of what 
Paul really is feeling. He says it like this, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was able to give all his time now to preaching and teaching, yay, doing everything he could to persuade the Jews that Jesus was in fact God's Messiah. But no such luck. All they did was argue contentiously and contradict him at every turn, totally exasperated. Paul had finally had it with them and gave it up as a bad job. Love how Eugene Peterson captures a little bit more of just the human nature of Paul. And so like the Apostle Paul, the amazing, incredible Apostle Paul, you and I, we experience times of disorientation and distress at being in a particular place or circumstance or stage of life. Maybe right now you're feeling that. Maybe right now you're facing evil. You're facing sin and temptation. You're facing exhaustion or being overwhelmed. Perhaps you're hurt or broken or have a sense of incredible loneliness uh, for where you're at. Maybe you're financially fearful or you're emotionally wounded or spiritually dry. There's many things that can cause us to feel the state of, I come to you with fear and trembling. I'm apprehensive about what life is presenting me today. But in today's text, and very quickly we're going to run through this now, we're going to look at four ways that God really helps. Amazing how God is just incredibly compassionate, not only with just the Apostle Paul, but with all of us. We're going to look at four ways that God provides staying power, the power to stay in a difficult place uh, or situation. Okay, so let's look at it very quickly. Number one, God's people. God's people. If we're going to stay Like Keller says, if we're going to stay in strategic cities, uh, if we're going to live and work and minister in these influential strategic cities, we're going to need community. We're going to need fellowship and friends. What's one of the first things when he gets to Corinth is he's connected to this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. I may get an opportunity to preach um, a couple of weeks' time. I'd love to actually dive into them because oftentimes the the book of Acts is all about these big names, Peter, Paul, James, these big guys. But it's people behind the scenes, and Aquila and Priscilla are going to be some of Paul's dearest friends and biggest supporters of his ministry. And he connects with them. They're business people like he is. They work a trade that he works in. In that time, when you worked in a trade, you didn't compete with one another. You joined together and formed like a trade guild, and you worked and lived together. And oftentimes, if you were pagan, you would have a deity to which you would... Um, you know, pay homage to, to hopefully bless your business. And so he's not looking just for people who do what he does. He's looking for people who worship, common work and common worship. And he finds this couple and he stays with them and is working with them. Then it tells us later in a few verses, Silas and Timothy come and join him too. Timothy later on will write a couple of letters to Timothy, becomes like a son to Paul. And so God's people are crucial if we're going to have staying power in a city, in a place that can be challenging at times. And so despite Paul and the reputation that he has, and let's make no mistake, man, he is deserving of the reputation that he has. Even he couldn't pull it off alone. He couldn't pull off the Corinthian mission by himself. You know, sometimes uh, some of us refuse human help because we think I should be able to get through this with God. You know, God is all I need. You know, God is all you need, but oftentimes, most times, God supplies what you need through people, through community. And so I think it's it's a proud and incorrect way to say Jesus is all I need, right? And sometimes we sing songs that, you know, I know what that means in a salvation terms, right? Yes, Jesus is all we need. You know, my community and friends are not going to help me in that regard. But for every everything else when it comes to Christianity and walking out your faith, um, it's impossible. 
to do it outside of community and friends and friendships. And so this is a great reminder. One of the main ways God gives us what we need is through others. And so if you're cutting that off, you're, you're cutting off ways that maybe God wants to encourage and help you um, practically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be, as we share each other's cares and burdens and show love and concern for one another. So that's the first thing, God's people, staying power, staying power, being connected to God's people. Secondly, God's provision. God's provision is made available to Paul through a very conventional way, a job. Um, and then later, as Paul and Silas and Timothy come, they come, and um, in, in future writings, we piece this together, they actually come with a substantial financial gift, actually probably from the Macedonian church, um, which was mind-blowing because he's in a very wealthy city. The Macedonian church was not very wealthy, and yet they give him and supply him his needs uh, way beyond their needs. And so he gets it from a, a, a typical way, a typical source of provision, and then maybe atypical sources of provision. And so the same thing for you and I. God is a faithful provider, but his provision is going to come to us in different ways. And so even right now, I know that I, we, we, especially if you're in the GTA, you know how expensive life is and it, it's taking up. And it can drive us to look elsewhere. And I understand that need. And, and hear me, today's word is not for everyone, but this is for some of us. But we're not just to move for financial reasons. We're not just to move for economical breakthrough, as important as that is. There is God's provision to enable us to live, work, minister in big cities. What happens if all the Christians go out to the suburbs or go out to the, to the easier places? What happens then? What happens to what do we lose out on by gaining something else do we lose out on? And so if it's, if we're, if we're here, if you're in Toronto, if you're in GTA, God's provision is going to be made available for, to you. Now, for some of you, it means getting a job. I know for some we've got some recent graduates. For some of you, it's, it's finding that job. It's finding a job that keeps you in the GTA. It's trusting God. God, if you've called me to this place, I'm asking you to help me find a job that keeps me in this place, connected the, to these people. For some of you, it's getting a better paying job. right? Some of you are in a job that maybe you like, but maybe it's, it's, it's getting a better paying job. Um, and then for all of us, it's saying, hey, also, there are, there are uh, sources of provision that may be beyond what we can think of, but perhaps God and his provision, perhaps he didn't know, maybe Paul didn't, wasn't aware that Silas and Timothy were going to bring such a, a, an immense provision that allowed him to, to actually go in full-time, minister and preach and teach. That was the, 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 like how substantial that gift was. Um, I think all of us want to be available to those sources of atypical sources of provision. And so I really, I just feel prompted as I was preparing and really right now, I just really want to pray. And so Father, I do pray. I pray for people watching this right now and people who may catch this later, God, who do feel a financial uh, pinch, God. People who are looking for a job, maybe recent graduates. God, would you lead them? Would you help them to be able to stay, live, work and minister in this great city Called Toronto in this greater Toronto area, God, for those that are in a job, Lord, would you give them um, favor with promotion or even bump ups in their income? And then for all of us, God, would we not be closed off to your miraculous provision, however it may come, uh, from wherever it may come, Father, would you unlock sources of provision to allow your people to stay, to stay? And everyone said, amen. I heard that from Blue Mountain all the way to downtown Toronto. And so let's trust that. Uh, you know, the reality is for our church, we're good. Our church, are we pioneering? We celebrated 10 years with an amazing moment in April. Um, 
And just the reality is, is if we want to see a church that's going to grow, that's going to plant other churches, we just need people to stay. We need people to stay in a city that's expensive. And so I trust that God knows the economy. I trust that he's well aware of what inflation is. Obviously, I'm being facetious. He's well aware of all that. And yet he has provision for us to be able to live, work, and minister uh, in a great place called Toronto GTA. And as we desire to see churches be planted all across Canada. All right, God's people, God's provision. Sometimes provision will come through God's people. Third thing is God's presence, right? God's presence. Um, amazing that Paul gets a vision. And reading between the lines, um, even despite some of the success that Paul's beginning to get, I, I love it. Like, he, he gets like very little success in the synagogue. And it's like, as Eugene Peterson is exasperated, I'm done. I'm moving on. And literally tells us he moves next door. How's that for like kind of in your face? <laughs> he literally moves next door and establishes a house ministry in the first three centuries of church. That's how the church met in homes. And he has some great success. So much so it also says that the synagogue leader and his family get saved. And so he's having some success, but God shows up into a dream and says, don't be afraid. And so you've got to also think that Paul's still Still struggling. He's still being struggling with the things and wrestling with the things. Maybe he's fearful. I know how this goes. I'm going to be driven out of time. I'm going to get beaten and stoned. Maybe this is my time. Maybe that's the trajectory he sees. I know how this, this movie goes because he's experienced and lived it. Um, but God comes to him and says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. Literally, he assures him, I am with you. God's presence. So God's people, God's provision, but God's presence. A sense of God's presence with you and I. A sense of him being with us. You know, if, if you've ever had someone come up to you say, hey, it's going to be okay. You'll get through this. Now, the weight of that really is dependent on who's saying that. If you're walking in the street and some random person just comes up to you and say, hey, it's going to be okay, you'll get through this, kind of a nice thought, but it doesn't carry as much weight as if your spouse says it to you, or maybe you're a teenager and your parents says it to you, or maybe it's someone you really respect comes alongside you. There's just a different gravity and weight and comfort when you uh, someone says that, hey, it's going to be okay, you'll get through this. Now, imagine the creator of the universe showing up and saying, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. I'm with you. And this, in essence, is what Jesus does, shows up in Paul in a vision and encourages him to stay. We're not done here, Paul. I know you're fearful. I know you're afraid. I know life's beaten up on you, but I'm here to assure you I'm with you. I'm with you and no harm. Supernaturally, I'm going to protect you this time. And that wasn't always the case in Paul's, but this in, in Corinth, we'll see how it actually turns out for him. Um, and you know what, I know what you're saying. It's like, well, if Jesus showed up in my dream tonight, that would be amazing, right? If he gave me that word. But the reality is all Jesus said to him is something that's incredibly consistent that Jesus and God has said to his people throughout. I'll just give you three examples, but you can Google this later. How many times God assures his people, then his people today, us and tomorrow to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Don't be afraid for I am with you. To Jeremiah 
He says, do not be afraid of them, Jeremiah, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then to the nation as a whole, to the people as a whole, he says to Israel, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Over and over again, God comes to us, his people, knows that we can be fearful, knows that we can be anxious. There may be legitimate reasons for those anxieties and fears, but he says, hey, behind all that, I'm with you. That's cause for you not to fear. That's cause for you to live courageously. I am with you. I am with you. Maybe that just needs to be something that you have in your mind this week. Write it down on a card. Stick it in your mirror. Uh, put it wherever you need to see it. It's just maybe one of these verses. Hey, that's the Lord of the universe. Not just speaking to Paul, but speaking to you. Hey, I am with you. If God is with us, if he's for us, we can live courageously. We can live, work, and minister courageously with staying power um, in difficult places. And then lastly, God's people, God's provision, God's presence, and now God's purpose. It trails off at the end of that vision. He says, not just because I'm with you, Paul, that's important, my presence, but my presence is connected to a purpose. I have many people in this city, Paul. I have many people in this city in other words, we could say it like this. I'm at work here, Paul. Trust me, stay, and do your part. I'm at work here. Trust me, stay, and do your part. Now, again, we, we're in a movement, uh, every nation movement. It's all about go. We celebrate that, going to the nations. Uh, we think of Jesus' words to his disciples, go and make disciples. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a physical, geographical change. You can go across the street, go to the campus. We know that. But oftentimes we do celebrate the going aspect um, of, of the movement that we're in. Many of us in our church, you've come from different nations. You weren't born in Canada. It's many people's story in Toronto. I think one in two people have that story. They weren't born in Canada. They've come from different places. They've done the going. So maybe a word for our church, maybe a more radical word for our church than go is stay. Maybe there's a word that we also need to hear is stay. I'm not saying that, that if you hear a clear word to go, go. We'll, we'll be the first to release and bless you. But I won't say as well, like sometimes it's just the people staying. Maybe it's less glamorous. Maybe it's harder. I don't know. But there's a word for some of you need to hear is stay. Stay. God's calling you to stay. It just takes time. When we first came 10 years ago, Bert and I, there was a, a, a one particular pastor who's got an established church here in Toronto, and he, he really meant well by what he was saying. But he, he basically said, look, you're coming into a, um, a, a graveyard of church plants. So that was encouraging. Um, and, and he said, your, your only goal is can you, can you stick around for five years? If you can just stick around for five years, you have a chance. Because I think what he was trying to encourage, I think he had seen how difficult it was for people to come and go and not and fizzle out. And so uh, I praise God. When we did that 10-year anniversary celebration, that was in the back of my mind. We've still, And it just feels like we're getting started because it just took that long just to get established. It just takes that long to get established, to get a core. We've maybe had about three or four different churches in 10 years because people come and go as a transient city. I get that. We get that. We're not saying don't go. But I'm just saying, I think there's a word that the Lord is saying to us, particularly from this passage today. Some of you need to hear a word to stay. Some of you are itching to go and get a bigger home somewhere else. Some of you are looking at other cities or other places in Canada saying, oh, it's a bit easier there. Maybe I can raise my kids better there. And again, I'm not knocking any of those dreams, but I am saying sometimes it is 
we do need to sacrifice to stay. Um, and so God's purpose is one of the key pieces that we need to remember. If we're, if we're connected with God's people, we have a sense of provision and we have a sense of God's presence. You need to have a sense of God's purpose. What is he up to? What is he up to? It's not just, hey, Paul, stay. Paul, stay. Paul, stay, because I have many people still. So one, we need a perspective. We need to see the city. We need to see people through God's eyes, right? We all know the reputation of Corinth, but Paul, there's so many people that I have in this city. I think about Toronto in the GTA. There's many people, there's many people that I have in this city. And that's the first thing, perspective to see it. But then partnership. I have many people in this city, Paul. Keep on speaking. In other words, I've got done my job. You're going to do your job. That partnership is going to yield fruitfulness. That partnership is going to feel fruitfulness. And what was the result? The last verse we read, it says, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Now that's dramatic. Teaching them the word of God. That is by far, except for Ephesus, where he's going to go to next, but that is by far the longest he ever stays in a place uh, and ministering. A year and a half, 18 months. It was massive, massive for him. Um, and so unlike his experiences in previous cities, Paul would be able to remain in that place. He had staying power to be able to preach the gospel and not be driven away by opposition. He left on his own terms, which is very unusual if we consider how we've also seen how he often was driven out some of the cities. Um, in those 18 months, he wrote the first and second letter to the Thessalonian church. Um, later, he would come back to Corinth and he would write the letter to the Romans, arguably his magnus opus, arguably his masterpiece. Um, you know, Romans, they say, is, is Paul's masterpiece uh, letter. You know, God used a hard place like Corinth and redeemed it and made it a fruitful place because he stayed. He just stayed. He stayed long enough to see God at work and God do some stuff. You know, I think about in, in my time, there's been a few times in my, my years over the ministry where I wanted to leave. Uh, I, there's one particular one, 20, 2006, 2007, there was just a lot of turmoil happening. Can't go into much of the details, but I was back in Cape Town, part of a church staff there, a large church. And just a couple of years of just really hard uh, things happening in that church. It was really difficult ministries, uncomfortable ministry. It's kind of like looking on the horizon, like... So much so, I actually, Chantal and I flew, we didn't have kids yet, Chantal and I flew to the States to um, really investigate an opportunity that could have taken us to the States and, and done ministry there. But it's like, I don't know, like everything felt good. You could see it. It just, in my gut, I knew it just wasn't, I knew I'd be running away from something. And uh, it was on the second last day of that journey in the States, we sat down, many of you know, Pastor Jim LaFoon is a recognized prophet and I'm. Um, ministry, and he had never prophesied over us. He had many opportunities to, but decided not to. And so it was like, he invites us over to his home. And so I'm sitting in his home with his wife, and uh, he says, Have I ever prophesied over you? And I said, Nope. I just played it calmly. I'm like, No, I don't believe you have. I'm like, No, you've never. You've prophesied all my friends. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it was just an incredible word. And it was a word that had a lot to do with where we are here today. So we can thank him for that. But in that, it was amazing because I'd begun to sense like God's not calling us to leave. And that wasn't a great word for Chantal and I. It was a hard place we'd have to go back to, hard, hard ministry context we'd have to go back to. But he said, yeah, I, I feel like there's a five-year period still left in, in South Africa. So we went back and uh, we got a word to stay. So we bought a house. We had babies. Joel and Rachel were born. Um, circumstantially, things didn't really change much, but everything changed for us. We got a word. Our perspective changed. He said, okay, if the word's to stay, we're going to stay. We're all in. 
And those five years buying that house prepared us and enabled us to be here. And then when we got the word to go, it was blessed. It, like, it was unanimous. It wasn't us running from something. It was us going to something. And I got to tell you, I'm so thankful that we didn't try to make something of our own. But it was hard. And it was, it w- there was a word needed for us to stay. Um, probably in these 10 years, there's been times where we were like, man, this is hard. This is hard. I know Bert Sheila, we've, we've oftentimes felt like this is hard and, and perhaps there are some opportunities that look greener. But I gotta say, um, staying can be hard and it requires sacrifice. We don't own a home here. We live in a townhouse. It's really expensive to own a home here, right? Um, I know many of you feel like that. Some of you are scared for your kids to grow up in a city. Um, maybe you feel like they're safer and better to, to have them grow up in suburbs or, or, or other parts of, of Canada. I'm not passing judgment on that. You've got to work that out with the Lord. But I do want to just put this before you. Whatever sacrifice uh, or whatever, um, you know, making a decision to go somewhere else uh, to gain something, um, factor in the sacrifice of what are you giving up potentially for the kingdom in the sense of going to, when we choose comfort of a kingdom or convenience of a kingdom, we gain something, but we also lose something. And when you stay in a city, you also have to sacrifice. You might need to readjust some of your expectations. You might not be able to, but when you put kingdom over comfort, kingdom over convenience, it, God's no man's debtor. And so I just want to put that before you. Um, the city needs you, but you also need the city. And this is not me. This is Keller. And part of why I really wanted to bring, because I just want to pay tribute to a man that shaped me, shaped us, shaped our our ministry in the city had a heart for ministry, shaped a theology of just being the city. Cities, the city is not perfect. It is broken, but it is strategic. God loves cities. People are flocking to cities. Cities are growing exponentially. There are more people coming to cities than there are people leaving cities. We need more churches, not less churches in cities. We need more Christians staying in the cities, not less churches. We need Christians involved in politics, business, the arts, education, everything. Uh, in terms of that, the city needs you, but you also need the city. And I want to end off um, with homage to Timothy Keller as he comes back to one of his great passions was the city, but ultimately his great passion was the gospel. And the ultimate staying power for you and I is not just his people, not just his provision, not just his presence, not just his purpose, as critical as they are, but it's the gospel. Tim Keller says it like this, the gospel alone can give us the humility. In other words, I have much to learn from the city, the confidence. I have much to give to the city and the courage. I have nothing to fear from the city to do effective ministry that honors God and blesses others. Thank you, Timothy Keller. The Lord has many people in the city of Toronto, Every Nation GTA. The Lord has many people in GTA. We're but a part of that, but an important part of that. He's at work, trust him, stay. If you can stay, stay and be part of what God wants to do in the next 10 years and beyond. Amen. Let me pray, uh, and then we'll hand over to the rest of us. So, Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for allowing us to see the humanity of Paul, his need for people, provision, your presence, and a sense of your purpose. God, give us a sense of the critical need for people, your provision, your presence, your purpose. Lord, as we consider, what is your word to us? What is your word to me? Is it a word to stay? Is it a word to stay even though it may be difficult? God, then would you make a way to be more connected to your people, more of your provision, more sense of your presence and your purpose uh, today in Jesus' name. Amen.
there's any way we can help you um, with that word, any way we can get you connected to God's people, we'd love to make that available to you. Follow our Next Steps card online, and we'd love to get you connected uh, into serving God's people and His purpose here in the GTA. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.